2001, actually it's January 2002, 2001 AFC playoffs. Oakland Raiders, of course. New England Patriots, of course. Charles Woodson, Tom Brady. Charles Woodson comes around towards the end of the game, tackles Tom Brady as he's bringing the ball. It's called the tuck rule, okay? Brady fumbles the ball. If Oakland gets the ball, Brady's probably not even starting the next season. They're going to win the Super Bowl. Now they've won five others, I think it is. Who, who, I lose count, okay? But there's a moment in time where something happens and you go, okay, we've got to call that something. It's called the tuck rule. Have everybody ever heard of the tuck rule if you're in football? Well, last Sunday, Allie preached an hour and five minutes. We now have a clock back there that's real big and red. It's called the alley clock, okay? So it'll be referred for, for going forth as the alley clock, okay? <laughs> but let me tell you what, you know, she was, she was so upset when she realized she got off the stage last week and... And she had preached an hour and five minutes, which is a new indoor world record. And, uh, and uh, I told her, I've preached almost 30 years and never preached one that long. Jan says I have, but she has no evidence of it. <laughs> but this is what I told Allie. Allie and I had a chance to go to lunch, and that's unusual for us because our family's usually around. It just so happened everybody was scattered to the wind. Allie, I went to lunch, and I just told her. I said, we can teach you. I can teach you how to preach 35 or 45 minutes, but I can't teach the, you the anointing of God. The anointing of God either is on you or it's not because of how you've allowed, you positioned yourself to get in line with what God's doing. Now, I can show you a way to try to get there, but only God can give that. Only God can give the anointing. But we can't coach on the other part. <laughs> We're in a series called Mosaic. And Allie did, I believe, did a great job of talking to us about singleness last week and why singleness matters in the kingdom, why singleness matters in the body of Christ. Uh, you see our, our picture up there of our sign, obviously, that most of you know, but you see the mosaic and you see the empty nesters and you see the wedding and you see the children and you see the singles. It is all of that. Our, our, our logo is a broken piece. It's a construction sign. For those of you who don't know, it's a construction sign. The actual colors you'll see around here, it's a construction sign that's broken. We're under, there's construction going on, but we're broken. But in the middle of all that brokenness is the cross. And it's that cross that ties it all back together. It's what brings it all back together. We're all needed here. We're all, if, if, if one piece of this is not functioning well, the body's not what all it needs to be. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about the mosaic of where people are in their journey of faith. I believe we need people inside the body that are at all stages of faith. Not just trying to target one, okay, let's work. No, we've got to be, wherever, wherever everybody is, we've got to be trying to reach out to them. And to help them and give them a pathway. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today is inside the body. If the body's going to work well, if the mosaic's going to work well, if it's going to be everything we've been called to do here, then there's got to be people at different stages of their faith. I want to use a passage of Scripture that I referred to a few weeks ago. 
that uh, at the time I was a little aggravated myself because I didn't get a chance to kind of put some more meat on the bones when I mentioned it to you. And it almost seemed like it was, I should have just taken it out. It's one of those things when you preach, like I have for many years, people, because one of the things we do in our blind spot deals with that one of the questions asked, when do you feel most insecure or inad- inadequate? And, I, and many of you already heard me say this before, but I feel the most insecure and adequate between noon on Sunday and 10 o'clock Sunday night. Because I keep replaying the message over in my mind. What did I say wrong? What did I, until I watch it myself and I calm myself down. So it's, there's that thing. I'm confident up here right now. I can tell you, I am confident in God's grace and his power to preach this message. But at 12 o'clock, there's going to be this little weird thing going on. I don't know what to tell you. So that week, I mentioned a passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 11. We're not going to go there yet, but let me set it up just a little bit. In Genesis chapter 9, God had told us after the flood, and he had told Noah and Noah and his family, they survived, and God commissioned them to spread out and fill the earth. Go subdue the earth and multiply. Does it sound a little bit like someone else we heard of probably in about a Genesis 2 or so, Genesis 3? Uh, to go subdue the earth and multiply. That was their commission. But then we come along in Genesis chapter 11, which is what I referred to a few weeks ago that I just almost felt like I had left you more undone than done. But I want to read this for us, and then we'll come back. Uh, Well, let me set it up here. I've read this passage of Scripture, like many of you. I try to read the Bible through. I don't always do it every year, but read the Bible through in a year. Uh, Some years I skip because I'm on some other study, but many times I get back on it. This year I'm in the middle of that. Uh, But it's been a while back since I read this, but then I was reading it for another reason the other day. And I read this passage of Scripture, and I'd always read this passage of Scripture about the Tower of Babel in a negative sense, and there's reasons for that, obviously. But something jumped out at me that said, man, where we are as a church, what is going on with us right now? This, this passage of Scripture jumped out at me, and I just want to see if I can make sense of it to you guys this morning. Let me read it. Now, the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found, uh, found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so, they, so that we can make a name for ourselves. So we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So we make a, may make a name for ourselves. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said... If as one people speaking the same language they had begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible to them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, you can believe that account or not. I do. It's there. So, but there's a passage of scripture that just jumps out at me. Because as you look at this, you can probably see that they started out well. And God has given them the ability to know how to be in, 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 uh, uh, creative and build this tower. And they know what, how to mix brick and mortar and tar. And man, they're, they're very creative. And God gave them, I believe, gave them that creative mindset to know how to go about doing what they're doing. 
But somewhere along the way, they begin to think that they had accomplished all this on their own. Maybe giving a nod to God. That's catchy, huh? Give a nod to God. But that was not what they were commissioned to do, right? They were commissioned to do what? To go explore the earth, develop its potential, and multiply. Instead, they built a city. They stopped spreading. And their pride, especially when they stopped living into what God has commissioned them to do, in the middle of that stopping, all of a sudden you begin to swell up a little bit, don't you? Begin to think that what I have done here, I have accomplished on my own. Sounds a little bit back to the original sin in the garden, right? Well, we want to be God. We know what we were told. We get that part, but that's an issue for us because we want what we want. And we all have been tainted with that, right? (laughs) We want what we want. And it's real hard sometimes for us to separate the fact that what God has blessed me with, somehow or another, I've accomplished on my own. And matter of fact, I'm just going to take that back from you. I'll give you a nod on occasion. I'll tip you here and there. And we understand that confusing the language, we see that all the time in organizations. We see that all the time in churches. We see that all the time in families where they're speaking different languages. And when it's different, uh, when you begin to speak a different language, you may have started out thinking you were saying... I mean, people get married all the time thinking they're speaking the same language. That they got in it for the same reasons. And they find out later that's not the case, right? They find out that the vows that you took at the beginning you thought was what the other one meant, but you find out that's not really what they meant because you were really not speaking the same language you thought you were because you said the vows together. But the reality is you both didn't mean the same thing. What ends up happening when there's not one language that's spoken, when there's multiple languages and multiple visions and multiple everything, it becomes very dysfunctional. And many times, not only does it stay dysfunctional, people just quit. They give up. And they just move on. Never learning the lesson of how important it is. So this is what stuck out to me. It's what struck me as I was reading this. Is verse 6. If as one people speaking the same language. Now think of this in a positive way. Is if of one people speaking the same language they had begun to do this. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they can imagine is out of their reach. Nothing they aspire to. I love if many of you know, especially in Uncommon, Ephesians 3, 20-21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to what? His power... 
Not my power, not my vision, not my commission, not what I, but according to his power, it worked within us. To him be glory in the church, that's us, and in Christ. Throughout all generations, forever and ever. We have that generational picture from a few weeks ago. We have this up here. A few weeks ago, remember we stood up here, and I know it's the lighting. This is supposed to be something that's handed off. This is supposed to be something we continue to give to the next one. And matter of fact, what I love about this, many of you know a few weeks ago, it's a piece of conduit. And a conduit's there to do what? Not to carry the current, it's to protect the current that's already inside of it, right? Through all generations. Can you imagine you taking these five generations and like I think we knew that week, those of you, we didn't have anybody that was 92 and up, but we'd had six generations up there, okay? But it is up to us to protect that and to learn going both directions. So what have we been called to do? What have we been commissioned to do as a church? I think it's found in Matthew 28. It has a name. It's called the Great Commission. <laughs> and Jesus came to them and said, he's talking about the disciples right before Jesus ascended, of course. And he's already been, those who don't know, it's towards, Jesus has already been resurrected from the dead. He's now showing up at different places. But now he's saying to the disciples, and Jesus said to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I believe our commission is discipleship. We are called to make disciples. It's very clear. One of the challenges of that is it's real easy to settle in and build, start building our own tower. To go, did he really say that? Did, did, did God really say don't eat from that tree? Did God really say go and subdue the earth and multiply? Did, God, did Jesus really say go into all the world, make disciples? As a matter of fact, I'll be preaching on, on June 11th. He also says... You shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It is the earth, and we are to go. We're not just to settle. That is our commission. That is what we're called to do. The problem with that is, for many of us is, as churches and as leaders, there wasn't a clear plan on how that works. It's kind of like saying, how do you do church? Well, there's no real instruction book on that in Scripture. There are certain things. So you begin to go, okay, how do we do this? You begin to pray. You begin to ask God, what's reasonable? What is, what is scriptural? And you begin to look at it. And one of the reasons we're so passionate about it here at Renovation, and it's been affirmed in us through a study George Barna did. Don't, don't, put, the, don't put the slide up yet. But one of the things he, he says is, so much of the church in America, or even especially the church in America, 
He calls it mindless mutiny about, in other words, they're kind of rebelling against what God has already said. Or they have this hopeless meandering. They know they're supposed to be kind of following somewhere, and they don't, but they just don't really know what it is. They're just meandering. Have you ever met Christians who you feel like are meandering? They're just meandering. And he says, we filled our churches with Christ admirers, but not Christ followers. Let me say it again. We filled our churches with Christ admirers, but not Christ followers. Discipleship. And Barna used, go ahead and put put it up now. Barna says, after all their research, 15,000 Americans, that only 4%, he would say, are really living into the fullness of God, submitted, submitted fully to God. And as a pastor over all these years, I, I, I have no issues with his statistics. None whatsoever. Now, like I told you before, it's a little discouraging to go, you can do all we do here, and only 4% of the people are even going, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> And what's the key? It's number seven. They experienced, number six, they experienced this prolonged period of, of, and I'll get back to it here in just a minute. I want to give you an illustration. They get in this place of number six. They know there's a discontent. They know there's something not right. But God is taking them somewhere. And, and, and spiritual brokenness or personal brokenness is the key through that gate. And Henry Blackaby calls it that crisis of belief. Where you know in order to get through that, you've got to depend on God. You've got to step through that. And you don't know all the answers to it. But you, you don't know if you see God, but you just hope He sees you. And you get stuck. And that's the reason Barna says we end up at number five. Or number four. Since we're not willing to go through the gate of brokenness, we just get really involved in church things. Or we just slide back into Jesus is my Savior. Because I've confessed my sins. So He is just my Savior. Barna goes on to say, he says, we're active but stalled. The engine is running but gears are not engaged. We're burning lots of fuel but not getting anywhere. Steve Meeks talks about the four spiritual stages. Go ahead and put that up. The four spiritual stages of of our walk and signs of maturing. And I heard this years ago, and it's just the first one is this is initiation. It is that idea of you come to know Christ and all of a sudden you know you're looking at life through a different set of lens. And man, things are good. And boy, things seem to be going, wow, man, this changed everything. And I've got new friends and I've got, man, it's just euphoric, like falling, like starting to date somebody. You kind of go, wow, this has got a different feeling. And then all of a sudden, all that's going along and all of a sudden you hit the alienation stage. This is where people get in trouble. Alienation stage is where you begin to get disappointed in people. You begin to even get disappointed in God. 
I believe this is a place where God really wants all of us. But he doesn't want us to stay here. Because the purpose, I believe, of this second stage of alienation, it is that place where we begin to see ourselves for who we really are. Now, yes, we're saved, but now we begin to see the sinfulness and the selfishness and the pride that's all making up our lives. And we begin to see even clearer why we needed a Savior and a sanctifier. But if you're not careful at this stage, this is what will happen. You will take your sights of what God is wanting to do in you, and you will cast it back on others. And go, you're the problem. I'm disappointed in you. Now I have a built-in excuse, right? Well, I don't have to change, because now I'm just deflecting it onto you. And if you don't fight through this, I'm just going to tell you now, if you don't fight through this, with God's help and accountability and being in a community where this can happen and them to call you out and to be able to speak truth in life, if you don't fight through it, you'll end up going from church to church if you're not careful. Because you'll go back to what the first stage, initiation. Oh, what an awesome church. Oh, man, things are good. Oh, these people disappointed me too. Guess what? There's humans each place. Throw that in there. You may do that with relationships, regular relationships. What I mean regular relationship, I don't know what a regular relationship is, but I mean between someone you're wanting to date or someone you, you, you go through this same thing. Oh, euphoric, woo, and then all of a sudden, hey, there, there's something wrong with them. And you end up splitting again. If you're not careful, you just quit. You distance yourself. Then there's that awesome stage of what Barna was talking about, of transformation stage, or stage seven, which is brokenness. See, for many people, one of the things that gets them off track is, in my opinion, for whatever reason in our mind, even as a Christian, we think our destination is a certain thing like success. Our destination is something along the line of a uh, life achievements or when I'm not as busy or I'll wait till my kids grow up. Or There's some destination you're looking at to be all in with God. There's some point out there you're saying, well, if I can get there, financially, if I can get there, if I keep saying that, but the reality was destination, uh, the destination all along was transformation right now. Transformation is not a destination someday out there. Transformation is the destination. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, in view of God's mercies, brother, offer yourselves as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. No longer conform to the pattern of this world, but being transformed, transformed, morpho, transformed from a butterfly, from a caterpillar to a butterfly, morpho, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, it's an awesome word there. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and a perfect will. Then you'll be able to test means you will know. Approve means you will embrace it. God's been trying to get you to be and not quit worrying about do. That whole passage of Scripture is about who you're going to be, not what you're going to do. If you get the being right, the doing becomes much clearer. 
You thought the destination was doing. God's destination was being. You've been waiting to somewhere out there. You see my vertical on that? That's pretty sweet. It's out there somewhere. When that happens, I'll do this. No, this is the destination. It'll figure out that. Matter of fact, your life successes and your life achievements will be seen through a different lens. And what before you would have thought considered an achievement won't be an achievement anymore. And what you would have never thought could be an achievement, and now it's going, that's my prize, and you're walking in it. And the last one is incarnation. The ethos of Christ. I added the ethos part because that's what we use around here. I think it's the message that says, Jesus put on skin and moved into the neighborhood when he came to earth. Jesus put on skin and moved into the neighborhood. Do you realize today, folks, that's where he's asking us to go to? That it no longer can be just in your mind. It's got to move to your muscles. It's got to move to your mouth. It's got to move to your ears. It's got to move to your sight. It's got to move to your mind to have dreams you never could have had before. That's the church the world's looking for. They're not looking for number two, by the way. They see enough. They're messed up on their own enough. They want to know, is there hope? Is there hope? By the way, hope has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. He has a name. But if we're not willing to be broken and we're not willing to be transformed, we have began to build a tower. Because our commission is to not only become a disciple, but to do what? Go into all the world and make disciples. And when we talk about all the world around here, it's where God is to be salt and light where you're already engaged and influential. And I don't know where all that is for you. I don't have to figure that out. All we need to do is equip you to do that there. That's what we're called to do. Gives you a lot of freedom. Lots of freedom. But there's not just a real clear path on how to make disciples. So God leaves it up to us uniquely to even local churches. If we chase after the heart of God with your mission, vision, and values, are they biblical? Are they scriptural? Do they make, do they make sense in the eyes of God? Are they reasonable? When it comes to the character of God, then start speaking one language. I see biblically speaking in one language in a family, in a marriage, in a church. The word tells me there almost is no limit on what they can do. So I know there's pushback at times here at Renovation because you hear us saying things over and over and over. And I get it. But can you imagine a basketball team with 10 guys with different visions and different languages? The reason why people get traded to certain ball teams, it takes them a while to do what? To learn the language. They're all speaking English. Okay. But it's not the same English. They know things. I listen to some of these quarterbacks yelling out things. I mean, when I, I'm going, my mind would blow up. 
But you better know that language, hadn't you? To work in rhythm. To work as a symphony. So we're working hard here, folks. To really try to get that language. But we believe it's reflective of God's character. Or we wouldn't be trying to do it. And if you think somewhere along the way it's not of God's character, please come and talk to me nicely. (laughs) But let's talk. Because I don't want to be out of the will of what God's trying to do. But if we are, this is renovation language in that sense. Of course we're going to use church scripture. We're going to use what it says here. But there's a language that you know immediately, oh, that's what that means. So we come to something we've talked about over the last many months. It's called the five C's. I'm going to see if I can fly through this. Let me go ahead and put them up there. I believe the Lord has laid this on my heart and to develop this. But let me say this before we, because I said I can't find the the comprehensive plan for 2017 in Scripture in the sense of, okay, in 2017 at 5604 North 24th Street, this is the plan. So we've got to work hard to ask God to show us and to, and to mine it out and say, okay, what is it for here? I'm not saying what we're going to do here is for everybody else. I don't know. But I do believe it's for us. But I do believe because the question came to me, for me personally, I think it's from the Holy Spirit, who's showing up at your church? Who is setting out there week in, week out? What is going on in their lives? But let me say this before I break this down. Go ahead and take that down for just a second if you would. Because of what we're working on here, I've gotten a little bit of feedback, not a lot, but it's somehow or another with those five C's. Go ahead and put it up there. Probably easier to spot. My bad. That somehow or another we're condemning people because if they don't want to be over here, then if they're over here, there's this condemnation that maybe or this, okay. uh, First off, let me say this. These are self-identifying things. I'm not trying to put you in anything. These are self-identifiers. So that part of it I don't worry about too much. The other part of it, though, is can I as a pastor, if I know or if I sense a person is living in middle left, can I love them at the same level and be their pastor to the same with people who middle right? Let me say this. I've spent more of my years in ministry with ministry middle left than I have middle right. I can tell you that right now. So I got more experience over there. That's a fact. But God has put something on my heart. And I think on the hearts of many is that we need to be living over there too. Also. Also. So you're saying you can do both, Pastor Kurt? You can, you can love the guy who is all the way over there or the guy who says, I'm never going to move out of my circle because I like, I'm really comfortable here. You know, I can love you there just as much as I can love you at that other spot. But I, I love the saying I heard years ago, Jesus loves you the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. Can I love my child and my home who is rebelling at the same and not like what they're doing particularly, but still have the love of a father? You bet I can. I can hold two things at one time. Come on, give me a little credit. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I really can. By the supernatural power, the agape love that we've talked about, you bet I can. I can't do it on my own. But because of God's love, I can love, I can love the guy who is the most despicable in our culture as much as I can love the person who is all in. 
Because of Christ's love. That's the reason why transformation is so critical. Because transformation is that I no longer engage people or love people or do anything for people because of what they have or have not done. I do, I act because of who I am in Him. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with what God has done in me. And who I am in Him changes everything. That means I can minister to anybody. I can love anybody. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything of what Christ is doing in me. Transformation is critical. It gets you out of the alienation stage. kicks you out. So let's go through these five C's real quick. And I think I can do it fairly quick. But I just wanted to give that heads up there real quick. Because some, I think there's a little confusion. Man, we love you at any stage or any circle. And I'm going to be your pastor at any of those points. But let me put this slide up there real quick. Tom Landry's slide. I am a coach at heart. But a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear. Who has you see what you don't want to see. So you can be who you've always known you could be. My question to you today is are you coachable? Are you coachable? Are you coachable most of all by the Holy Spirit? And then are you coachable by those God has put in your life to help you move forward? That's really the question. And that's how we're trying to create the discipleship process here at Renovation. Go back to the five C's real quick. Let me say, so I get a little explanation here. Number On conscience, ignorant. Ignorant means I have no knowledge of God. I could be the most studied intellectual atheist, but somehow or another I don't know that there is a God that loves me. So I'm ignorant of that. I don't mean without knowledge. In some way, I, mean, I don't mean stupid, that's what I meant to say, but they're without knowledge of an almighty God who loves them. Two, indifferent. In other words, like I was for 10 years from the time I was 17 to 27, I was indifferent to God. Indifferent to sin. I had hardened my heart so much that it did not penetrate any longer. That's a scary place to live, by the way. And the last one is combative. In other words... You're at a point right now in your journey, you may believe there may be a God, and you may believe Christians believe what they believe, but I tell you what, you better not bring it up to me or I'm coming after you. I don't believe in this God who's let this happen. I don't believe in this God who's done this or that. How, how could this God do that over there? How could, how could you as Christians, whatever you want to go with, but you're combative. But here's this beautiful transition circle, what I call, I call that provenient grace, or that grace that goes before salvation begins to woo you. Anybody ever been wooed? By the Holy Spirit, just woos you, doesn't force you, doesn't put your arm behind your back, doesn't put a gun to your head, whatever, but it just woos you and invites you, come and see, come and see, come and see. So it's concerned. So here we get into, is it true? Is this whole thing that you've been talking about or you Christians talk about or been talked about from time, time zero, is this whole thing true? Secondly, is it true for me? In other words, it may be true for you because I see it in your life, but I'm not sure you don't know my story. Is it true for me? Okay, now you say it's true for me. I see in Scripture it says for all, but the question then becomes, is it true for me all the time? In other words, is God's love for me conditional? It's God's love for me, conditional. In other words, I'm going to have to toe the line. And, of course, this leads to legalism in so many ways if we're not careful. Or condemnation, whichever way you want to go with it. And they sometimes walk hand in hand, for sure. 
But then there's that transition there of salvation or regeneration where we begin to move into the convinced. And the convinced is those people who have now accepted Christ as their Savior. They know that they know that He is theirs and they are His and there's no question He is who He says He is and they know they're a child of God. Boom. God bless you, man. It's awesome because it is. I remember. I remember that lens I began to look through. It was, I mean, it was in the next day I began to look through it differently. And I was convinced. And I was secure and comfortable. And comfortable there means good things. In other words... I can rest in it. I can rest in these facts. But then there's complacency. It's like a man who gets married, or a woman who gets married, it doesn't matter. They get married, and after a while you begin to take things for granted. After a while what happens is, yeah, you said those words back then, But now, but now, Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus in Romans 2. He commends the Ephesians church. He tells them, man, you've lived pure. You've lived your great doctrine. You're diligent in all that you do. But this one thing I have, I have this against you. You have left your first love. And what the word first here indicates is that the love which had been left is a love which existed before. In other words, you had it. You you had it. It's not like it was there and I made it up. No, you had that love. But the word left here means, it means to, to, to depart or leave alone or forsake. To neglect. The first mention here has to do with chronology. The second has to do with priority. And the statement doesn't suggest that they're not Christians. The statement doesn't suggest that they don't have any love for Christ at all. Rather, it means the quality of their love for them had weakened. They're capped. Because of that, they're capped. They began to settle in the city and build a tower when they were commissioned to do what? Go and subdue the earth and multiply. They began to get comfortable. They began to get complacent. Part of that is because they're capped. And that cap there can be for all kinds of reasons, from shame, from legalism, to, to fear, to rebellion, to all kinds of different strongholds that we get, from wealth to entitlement to position. Some of you are potentially here today because you're capped because of regret. Maybe you've raised your children to a certain place and you wish you had all this information at some time before and you didn't do it. You've got regret. Or maybe it's something, action you've done, you've got regret. But let me say this. Regretting yesterday is one thing. Regretting tomorrow is a whole different deal. You cannot let the regret of the past determine what you're doing going forward. You cannot. You have a choice in what it's going to look like moving forward. And you've heard me say here, Maria Robinson says, you you may not be able to go back and start a new beginning and write a new beginning, but you can start today and write a new ending.
You may be capped by the attitude that I don't need any transformation. Matter of fact, I've gone as far as I want to in this transformation thing. And if you think I need to change, maybe you need to change because I'm not going to change anymore. And you're going to have to figure out how to change to put up with my, me not wanting to change. <laughs> I've decided I'm going to stay right here and you need to change because it's going to take more grace to deal with me now. Yeah, I've been a Christian for 25 years. I ain't changing. I ain't doing it. You're capped. For some of you in here, it may be the sin of, it may be the cap of hierarchy, sin hierarchy. <laughs> I'm not doing as bad as so and so who I heard had an affair, but you may be looking at pornography. And for somehow or another, you've justified in your mind there is a hierarchy to this because inside of that hierarchy, I can get away with a little more. Inside of that hierarchy, and on what you're basing it on is not the sin. What you're basing it on is the ripples of that sin. You've decided that adultery in itself has way bigger ripples, so it must be a bigger sin. When pornography has its own ripples, we just can't see them as much. But they're both at the same place. So for us to stroll around here acting like we've got some kind of sin hierarchy. Well, that guy did this or she did that. Well, I must be doing good because I'm walking around in pride. My head held high because I didn't do that. Some of you in here have the high, you, you see somebody robbing a bank and you go, man, that's a big sin. But your generosity to the local church and your generosity to the kingdom, somehow or another you skated on that one. Because you, 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 that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a crime against culture. That's a crime against that business. Boy, that's bad. Bad, bad, bad. Bad boy, bad boy, what you going to do? But we can stroll in and out of here every week. We can stroll wherever we want to and say, hey, no, no, this is mine. I'm going to build my, my tower here in my kingdom. And I'll give you a nod every now and then, God. Let me just say this. At Renovation Church, we believe tithe is a getting in place. You can go argue it all you want to in Scripture. We just to come to the conclusion, if we're going to make it here and we're going to be everything God's called us to be, that's where we're starting. And by the way, it's the getting in point. But what this means is, if you make $50,000 a year, I do it, done it for 25 years, before taxes, before my house payment, before anything else, I pay my tithe. And I give it with a cheerful heart. That would be every year $5,000. And you say, well, what if I make this over here and I make this amount of money? I think you need to look at what you get to keep, not what you're giving up. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if somebody's over here making $25,000 a year, and they're giving $2,500 a year, and you're making... 150,000 and you're giving 15,000. When I do that math right there, I still see 135,000 and and over here I see 225. So give me a break. Budget here between 5 and 600,000. dollars We are a church. We've got a facility that should facilitate a church of 5 to 600, but we're having to pay bills on the church because we're a church of 200. But we feel blessed. And God has kept us going. 
And matter of fact, God paid this place off. And I, and I know some of the people in here who helped pay that off. And you don't know how much you moved the kingdom forward when you did that. And you know who you are. I would have never come here if there had been a half a million dollar debt on it. Matter of fact, I don't think this place could have stayed here if it had a half a million dollar debt on it. But we all got to keep moving forward, right? We all got to keep moving. So there's capped and all kinds of different things we can get into capped right there. Man, I can keep going down the list. We preach a whole series on capped, okay? And I'm about to beat my record here, so I got to get going. Beat Allie's record, so I got to get going. <laughs> this is what I love about T.D. Jakes. Put that quote up there if you have it. So the problem is not where you want to go. We almost, have a, we almost all have a picture of a better future, a desired future for ourselves, our family, and our culture. That is not the problem. The problem is, is what we're not willing to let go of in order to get there. That's the problem. Some of you are like this. You're like, I, I went, <clears throat> you're like this. And I'm going to stand on the altar, and I know I'm not going to get struck down. I'm pretty confident of that. I asked God about it. Okay. Here's where some of you are. You're on a boulder, and there's 70 feet drop down below you. You've gotten stuck between two worlds. You know you want to be over here and following God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know you do. You sense it. You know it. But you want to keep that foot over there. And what happens is if you get here too long, it kind of stiffens up a little bit. And you don't have the energy anymore to swing yourself on over. That means somebody's got to be over there, hook you in by line, and say, trust me. Trust me. I've been down this road. And as soon as you swing, I'm going to pull you. We've been stuck here forever. That's what's happened in America. I believe this, the third one, just go back to that one. Fourth one, excuse me. Let's we'll go back to the circle. Convicted. Let me say this real quick about convicted. One is the power of the Holy Spirit begins to convict things in your life and say, this is unacceptable. This no longer gets to work in your life. This won't work. And what I love about the holiness message is when God gets you to one place and you, 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 you get victory over that, and you go, okay, now, here's two more. <laughs> When I love what McManus says in his book, in his sermon, Battle Ready, what's the reward of winning a great battle? A greater battle. I want to fight great battles, do you? We've got to get there. We've got to get there. Fighting through the battles. Stirring and awakening. God begins to stir in you something. And, and, and conviction here means you have no doubt that what you've put your, your plow you've put your hand to or whatever you've, tools you've put in your hand, it has an eternal purpose. You're convinced of that and you're convicted of that. And it comes out of 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. It says by the, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica who had, who was the model, he said, by the power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, this is how you did it. We've got to have deep conviction. We've lost conviction. From the Spirit, and are we, are we doing things that God's called us to? Do we know that with all of our heart? It's like here, I know we can give money in all kinds of different places. And I hear people talk about, uh, go ahead and do that. Jan and I do it too. But the first one goes to here. First 10% goes here. If we get capped, because I want to be engaged. I'm going to figure this out. There's a stirring and an awakening in my life. And I'm going to begin to press into whatever God's showing me in the last one just is compelled. It is Christ's love. Uh, 2 Corinthians, what is it? I better look it up here, not just throw me off. 2 Corinthians 5.14. It is Christ's love that compels me. Compel does not mean force. Compel is this powerful urge to do something about something. And in our sense, it's about because of what Christ has done for us. For us, therefore, I am compelled.
You say, Kurt, I can't live there. Let's go back to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power, his power at work within us. Craig Rochelle says, your brain cannot comprehend what your God is capable of doing through you. Your brain will stop you before then. But it is a continuous growth. Go back to the slide, if you would, please, the five C's. If you've decided to live with focus and intentionality, where the holy discontent to make a difference in the world that God's put on your heart, if you said, not on my watch anymore, whether it's my family, my marriage, I'm protected. I want to be a compelled husband. I want to be a compelled father. But I also want to be compelled in my community. I want to be compelled everywhere. But let me say this. There's continuous growth inside of that compelled, by the way, folks. You don't just arrive. I am transformed and I'm being transformed. It's a continuous thing. So I don't just arrive somewhere until I... We should have another circle and say, and seeing Jesus face to face. That's when the graduation is, okay? <laughs> he will continue to work on you. He will continue to work on you. I mean, we just did Blind Spot through Uncommon. Just re, you know, Most of you know we've been doing that over the last many weeks. We just wrapped up the other night. And one of the things is in my Blind Spot, I have four things on my, on my computer that I pray over every day about what God, my, from my, from, mainly from Jan, speaking into my life through Blind Spot. I want to be better. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better leader for the kingdom. But let me tell you this, as a walking front leader, if you're going to be a walking, you know that's the language we use here, a walking front leader, he who walks in front walks closest to death. If you want to be a walking front leader, let me tell you one thing, walking front leaders have to decide somewhere along the way. They either got to choose between courage and comfort. You can't have both. You can't have both. I just want to say to you today, whatever stage you're at, we're going to love you. And if you decide to stay in complacent for the rest of your life, I'm your pastor unless everybody in here decides to stay that and somebody else will be your pastor. Okay? Because <laughs> I ain't going to live there. If I'm not helping people move mid-right. But let me say the other thing. We're going to be at our whole discipleship at Renovation. There's going to be drop-downs coming from every one of these. We're going to help you move. We're going to give you a pathway to move forward. Every one of those is going to have things that you can look at and be trained on and taught on. But again, it's only the Spirit can move you. Only the Spirit can do it, do the work. But we can give the best opportunities for the Spirit to do His work. So there will be drop-downs inside of all those things to help you keep moving, help you keep moving, help you keep tuning, help you keep shaping. It's going to be there. Some of you have had a lot of challenge to get to this point in your life, whether you're a young person or you're 90 years old, 80 years old. You've got a lot of opposition to get to this point. There's been a fight in the heavenlies for you. Don't you want to know what the fight's been all about? Don't you want to know? We want to help you discover that. We want to help to be a place here at Renovation where you discover what the fight's been about. As many of you know, I, I was on the verge of taking my life in 1984. I mean, seconds, I mean, minutes away from it. I'm glad I stuck around to see what the fight was all about. 24 years old with no hope. But hope has a name. His name is Jesus.
Would you stand with me? Why don't Josiah and him to come up as they close? Of course, you know I'm going to have to get out of here. Josiah's going to preach the rest of the sermon. So, no. I don't know about you, and I've said this to the uncommon group, and I'm telling you, by the way, the uncommon group had finished with 45, then the uncommon group is an awesome time. We'll be presenting it again in the fall. We were thinking about doing an online during the summer, but it's just too much moving parts right now to do that. But uh, we had testimonial last Sunday night, and it was powerful, in my opinion, and I think everybody's. But one of the things I've been receiving this week is people's obituaries. The obituary written with a preferred future in mind. And it is powerful. People have markers now. 20-year-olds, 50-year-olds. Going, this is what I want said about me when it's all said and done. They're writing a new close to their story. You know, when you come to know Christ... I don't know if you know this. It should be good news for everybody. It should be good news for your neighbor. It should be good news for your business and where you go to work. Because if you get to that, especially if you get to that incarnation stage, that's what they're looking for. But we've got a journey along the way. Many of us are becoming disciples because we don't really know what to do with it. That's what we're trying to do here. But the point is to make you a discipler, just so you know. It is that. Thankful to be a part of a church who's given us space to work this out. Given us four years now to wrestle with what God is calling us to do. And like many of you know, we're beginning to see the cloud. Beginning to see the cloud come. That cloud's not a dark cloud of thunder and a storm. It's a cloud of rain. A cloud of rain. We pray for us. Lord, you brought us to this point today as a mosaic. Some have come today with all kinds of challenges to be in this room. And they may have self-identified in one of those circles today, and maybe they've decided to stay there. God bless them, Lord. We love them. But, Lord, we pray from one end of those circles to the other that your Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives, chasing after them to be everything you intended them to be. And they know it. Help us, Lord, as a church to help them find it out. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this chance today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can, Josiah and them can sing. We're not going to do an off You can sing as you leave if you want to. They're going to sing. God bless you. Go have an uncommon week in his name. Love you.